Hey there, we're Chris and Melissa Smith of FamilyBrand.com, husband and wife, parents of five, and we want to help you unleash the power of your family. And we know it can be so challenging raising a family where the return on investment is unmeasured and sometimes it feels like your efforts are completely unnoticed. It takes real courage and commitment and a long-term vision for what you are building. You're building a family. And as entrepreneurs, we always think it's so interesting how your brand at home is the one that you think about the least. But at the end of your life, it will be the brand that matters the most. And look, none of us want to wake up one day feeling like, man, we missed it. Like we missed this opportunity to create something really amazing as a family. So what you can expect from us are actionable tips and strategies that you can implement in your daily life to become a better parent, a better spouse, and to build a stronger family. The world needs strong families now more than ever, and it starts right here with your family. Welcome to the Family Brand Podcast. Today, I have with me Nikki Bennett. And thank you so much, Nikki, for doing this interview with me today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So Nikki, um, we're friends from the North Shore of Oahu, actually. And something that you don't see on the other side of podcasts sometimes is like all the glitches that sometimes happen to put an episode together. For example, Nikki and I recorded this episode in December, but between like the tree trimming in the background at my house and my internet glitching, we had to re we have to re-record this episode. So it's February. Nikki's on the North Shore of Oahu. I'm now in Arizona and I'm so grateful that you're you have found the time to re reshoot this with me. Happy to do it. Um, so Nikki Bennett is a licensed clinical social worker and therapist. Tell us more about what you do, Nikki. So I provide therapy and coaching to individuals who want to learn and grow. And honestly, my demographic is everybody because as I tell my clients, everyone has issues and problems and healthy people admit it. And there's so many tools out there to help you live a happier, healthier life, no matter who you are. Totally. One thing that I love about Nikki, before we like dive in into this episode where I want to talk about um, specifically like couples and going to therapy and the benefits of that and what you can expect. But before we dive into that, I just want to tell you something that I love about Nikki. <laughs> she, um, so we met, I think actually a former guest we had on the podcast, Thomas McConkie was a mutual friend and we met actually met in Hawaii on the North shore, like I said, and we, we had only known each other, Nikki and I just a very short time. And I had a group of friends that we were going to go swimming at night. It was like a full moon. And we were actually, hopefully it's okay that I'm telling people this. We were going to go skinny dipping. <laughs> And I was, and, and Nikki had told me that she is always like down to like do, to do fun stuff. And so I was like, I'm going to message her and invite her <laughs> to come tonight. And I did, and she totally came and it was so fun. Um, so Nikki is the coolest therapist person, woman. So she's just, oh, thanks. I'm so <laughs> glad you made that call. It was, so, it became a monthly tradition, right? Every full moon. So fun. Totally. <laughs> um, but let's dive into well, tell me first, why, why did you decide to become a therapist? And I think it's interesting too. I know you did it when you were, it wasn't like your first kind of career when you were 20 years old, you did it when you were a little bit older. So tell us maybe a little bit why you became a therapist and kind of what that journey looked like for you. I love that question. I actually, my undergrad was in education and I taught school, which I thought was my lifelong passion until my had, I had my own kids mm -hmm. <laughs> quickly decided that I only had enough energy either for my children or for somebody else's children, but not both. And so I was a stay-at-home mom and I did little side gigs like teaching yoga and piano. And and honestly, I I chose, I didn't choose this career. I think it chose me. I grew up with really bad anxiety and some OCD 
And my husband and I ran into some real problems in our marriage as well with, he struggles with addiction and has for a lot of his life. And so we started going to therapy probably two decades ago. And I found it really helpful to a degree. I could understand logically, right? What my therapist was saying. It's like, oh, yep, that makes sense. That makes sense. But I felt like I couldn't translate it to into practice, but also into my body. I would say, I understand what you're saying. And my body is just having these reactions. So my husband had started working with an executive coach, a leadership coach at Microsoft, and he introduced me to him. And at my first session, John said, I'd like to invite you on a leader's journey to India. And I started to laugh and I said, do you realize I won't even fly to Utah from Seattle? And that he asked in your first session, he like offered that to you. He did. Wow. And he said, how much do you want this? How much do you want to stop living your life in fear and live a life of passion? And I said, I'll do anything. I would jump out of a plane. And he said, so are you in? And I said, yes. And it, it was a long process, but I ended up going trekking in the Himalayas for a couple of weeks. And it really changed my life. I figured out my passion and my purpose here on earth and beyond being a wife and mom, which is still to me, my most important purpose. But my coach kept telling me, I see you as a helper. I see you as a helper. And I said, no, I really see myself as an interior designer. (laughs) (laughs) And one day we're on the trail and he said, I want you guys to think about your purpose. Think about what people come to you for. What does the world need from you? And I instantly was hit with memories of two friends in junior high who came to me who were suicidal Mm. and how I was able to, I think, help them stay. And both of their moms thanked me and And then I started thinking about people in my community who would reach out to me for support or for help and realized like, oh, shoot, maybe this is my purpose. And I (laughs) I didn't want to admit it for a long time, but I started an organization called Love What You Got. And I started speaking in my community about body image and self-worth and people started coming to me and wanting coaching and therapy. And I just, I just not qualified. So at 38 years old, I went back to school and I've been in practice for just about 10 years. And I love it. I get to take my trials and turn them into triumphs and help other people do the same. So I think between growing up with anxiety and and then the issues and problems in my marriage, both marriages, I was married before as well. It's just so rewarding to be able to use those for good and help other people who are struggling. I think your story is so cool. And I think it's such a beautiful thing when um, a person, especially a woman who's maybe stepped away from, you said you were a stay-at-home mom, like to reinvent yourself and have the courage to like go for what you feel like is really calling to you. I think that's so courageous and so cool. And look what a difference like that can make as you step into that, like for so many people. Thank you. It's, it's such a gift to me. I love my job because it keeps me constantly doing my own work, which is really Mm -hmm. never finished. There's always more to learn and do. (laughs) Totally. It's a journey. Yeah. Well, I'd love to, I guess, just ask you what you know, we kind of spoke um, in the past about what this episode might look like and really wanted it to be a benefit for someone, you know, for a couple who might be in a position where they're like, hey, I think there's more for us in, in this marriage, but not quite knowing well, maybe what are the top like two or three things that you see couples for? Like what, what are they mostly when they're coming to therapy? What are they coming for? Yeah, let's just start there. So I would say 95% of couples that I see are coming to me because they're in some sort of a crisis. Mm. And usually those crises are around sex, money, children, trust and fidelity or addiction. And then the other 5% of people 
are usually young people who come to me because their parents have had their own crises and have said, Hmm. Hey, you're engaged or you're newly married. Here's my gift to you. We're going to give you tools to start you out on the right foot. And those are the sessions that, man, I just am cheering for everybody involved. I think it's such a good idea. My kids already know that's going to be their marriage gift, but usually it's some sort of a crisis. Something's not working. Mm -hmm. And I think behind every one of those is communication, right? communication is something that we all struggle with in every relationship where whether it's marriage or parenting or friendships or extended families oftentimes it's communication and it's easy to show up you know in therapy and say well we have a problem communicating and I would say to you no you communicate really well you're just not congruent we're always communicating 75 percent of what we're communicating is nonverbal and so just to give you an example, the first time my husband and I showed up at this new therapist, his name was Paige Palmer, and he's just so gifted at what he does. We call him the drill sergeant therapist because there's no nonsense. And so Sounds kind so of terrifying, actually. He's absolutely terrifying <laughs> <laughs> and so good at what he does. And I'm glad you said that because that's one thing, as I was talking to my husband about this episode, and what would you add? He said, you know, I would add what you often tell friends and family members, which is that if your therapist isn't upsetting you and making you mad, you probably don't have a very effective one. Mm. So if you're just going and you're spilling the beans and they're giving you empathy and compassion, you're leaving feeling better, you might not have a good one. And I'm not saying you should feel horrible every time, but the therapist's job is to reflect back to you, your blind spots and those Mm -hmm. opportunities for learning and growing. So this first session with Paige, I showed up on time. Ben walks in 20 minutes late. And Melissa, you know, Ben, he's a happy guy. He's always wearing a smile and introduced yeah. himself. And, and Paige said, why are you late? <laughs> ben said, oh, well, I just sort of underestimated, you know, how long it would take me this morning. And he started over explaining that I had come back from my run late. And so then he was late and I just kind of overestimated what I could do in a short period of time. And Paige said, do you do that a lot? And Ben said, Yeah probably. And he said, you know, I'm going to call BS on you because I think what probably really happened was that, that Nikki was late and you were mad about it. You decided that it was more important for you to get your run in than it was for you to show up on time today to therapy. Is that true? (laughs) Ben said, yeah, it kind of is. And he said, "Uh uh-huh. And Nikki, are you surprised by that? And I said, not at all. And what he said was a lesson that I'll never forget. He said, you're always communicating to your partner. You just don't do it congruently. And when you're not congruent, it erodes trust in a marriage and it builds frustration in a marriage. And congruence and and being legit looks like owning your truth, which is to either show up on time because you said you would or own your truth when you don't. It's perfectly fine to show up and say, hey, I'm late because Nikki was late and my run was more important than being here on time. That's what integrity looks like. Mm. It was a good lesson for me. Yeah, that's interesting. And 75% of communication is nonverbal. That's like a huge, a huge number. Yeah. And if you're familiar with John Gottman's work, he'll tell you that contempt is the number one predictor of divorce. And what does contempt look like? It's eye rolling, shaking your head. It's that the very side of you (laughs) that Mm -hmm. makes me cringe. That's the number one predictor of divorce because it communicates so much. When my partner shakes his head at me, I feel like he's communicating that I'm pathetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you, you know, the thought I want to like dive a little deeper here with the thought of maybe a th- going to a therapist, like maybe knowing that that's what 
you feel like you need maybe some extra help in, in your marriage, but the thought of going to a therapist being terrifying or being, you know, just completely uncomfortable. I mean, and you kind of already spoke to this, but is there anything else you would say to someone maybe listening who just hasn't been able to take like that step to, they feel like they absolutely want to see a therapist, but just haven't been able to get over that fear really of it, of doing it. Oh my gosh. I think my first thought is you're worthy of it, you know, which sounds so counterintuitive because when I first started going to therapy, I felt unworthy. I felt like choosing to go to therapy was admitting our brokenness in our marriage and my brokenness as a human being. Mm. But I would say to, to your listeners, you're never broken. And your life, your marriage, like there are so many tools out there and things that we don't learn in school. We learn how to, you know, how to complete geometry equations that we're never going to use again. We -hmm. don't learn how to effectively communicate. We don't learn how to regulate our emotions. We don't even learn to ask for what we need. And so therapy is so empowering and so healing. And again, I really think it's for everybody. It's not, it's not just for broken people. I don't actually work with people uh, there's different kinds of therapists and that's probably important to touch on too. But mm-hmm. the most important thing is that you have a connection with your therapist. If you feel like you understand each other, you trust each other, you relate to each other. 85% of your work is already done just by having a neutral third party that can reflect back to you what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. If you don't feel that in the first session, maybe give it a second shot, maybe not. But if by the third session, you're not feeling it, it's time to look for someone else. And I know that can feel so frustrating so the best thing to do when you're shopping for a therapist is to talk to people. And that's a scary thing to do because not a lot of people do talk. And that's why I tell people when you share, it invites shared vulnerability, it invites others to do the same. So you're saying even talking to people, meaning asking other people around town or your friends, like if they exactly. have recommendations or that you're looking yep. for this. Exactly. Or if you're, if you don't want to do that and you follow people on social media and you like mm-hmm. their style, reach out to them. And if they don't have I have people reach out all the time and I'll, I'll take them on if I have room. And if I don't, I have so many people I can refer to. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Um, and I personally, Chris and I, when we first recorded, I shared, I shared this, um, that we, we went to two marriage counselors. If you're not familiar with mine and Chris's story about 13 years ago, now we were separated, almost, almost divorced, seriously talking about it. Um, but we decided like, it took us getting to that point for us to be like, okay, we'll go, we'll go see, um, a a therapist. And our very first one was not a great experience for, for either of us. Like neither one of us left there feeling like, okay, he, that was useful. Um, we, yeah, we just felt like it was kind of a waste of time and that he didn't care about our, either of our outcomes. And so it took, and, and there was no one, yeah, no one we were talking to, like that recommended. So I was literally just Googling people, therapists, trying to find someone on the internet and our second therapist, um, again, just found them off the internet, but it was, he was such a a blessing, but he was like instantly like the perfect fit for us. And we knew like, after the first session, like, okay, he, we just felt both of us, Chris and I felt like, okay, he sees us, he gets us. And he's like cheering for us and wants, wants us to succeed and wants to, yeah, he's, he's here. He's here for us to help our marriage succeed. I love that. And and if you don't know where to start, I would say the gold standard for therapy in a marriage is emotionally focused therapy, EFT. So that's a good place to start as well. 
Okay. Knowing that that's what you're looking for. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very helpful. Would you have any, you know, you mentioned some things that people most often would come to a therapist when they are in crisis. Would you have any, I don't know, just practical, practical advice for someone that might be in one of those, those spots right now? Absolutely. I would say, let's take sex. For instance, if you're having problems in your relationship, which many, many, most people probably do Mm -hmm. The first thing is to talk about it. That's the first thing and the hardest thing to do. But also there are therapists who specialize in sex therapy and there's a lot of help out there and you're not alone. And and there are so many things you can do. I had a client earlier this morning who struggled and she's now seeing a pelvic floor therapist. That's something Mm. we don't talk about as mothers with postpartum that things change in our bodies and that impacts our sex life. And that's something that's scary to talk about, but once you do, you realize, oh, there are actually tools out there and I can work on this. I can work at it. And most people have to work at it. If it's a money issue, you know, again, talking about it, right? Mm-hmm. For my husband and I, we sit down every year and we come up with a budget. What is our income? What is the worst case outflow, right? So I always take like the worst month for electricity is December. The worst month for water is August. So mm-hmm. we come up with our worst case scenario. What do we have left over? And then we use Dave Ramsey's you know, cash only diet. We do everything with cash. So Mm. there's things that you can do to work through that. If it's a kid's issue, again, talking about it, making sure that you're on the same page. And there's several things, several tools that I have. One of the most powerful ones that I've come up with in parenting is, you know, my therapist would always say, keep the emotion out of it. Just stick to the consequence, keep the emotion out of it. I have a hard time doing that. When I try the logic approach, I sound really sarcastic when I say, oh man, that sucks. Sorry. I don't sound sincere because I'm not. (laughs) So so one thing that I came up with is I do a spreadsheet for all of the kids. And again, we do this every year at the beginning of school when we sit down with our kids and we talk about sex and we talk about suicide and we talk about drugs. And then we come up with a list of expectations. And I usually start with my kids' privileges. And I remind them that, listen, your rights are food, shelter, and clothing. It doesn't specify what type. (laughs) So you don't have a right to having a door on your room. You don't even have the right to have your own bedroom. You don't have the right to have the clothes that you want to wear. I just have to provide you clothes. And so all these other things I want to give to you and their privileges. And so I'll usually start there with phones, for instance, like my 16 year old has a phone and he has a car that he drives that he did help pay for, but we pay the insurance on the car and we pay for the title on the car and the space that he parks the car in. And so we start there. And then we start with our expectations. So curfew is a good one. My son has to be home by 10 o'clock on school days. He has to be home by 1130 on weekends. And if he's not, the consequence is he loses social time, right? We have rules Mm -hmm. around technology in our house because we're big on that. He's not allowed to have his phone in in a private room with the door closed or whatever. In fact, phone's a bad example because on his, our kids don't have social media on their phones until they're 18. They have social media on my phone. But if I were to catch him, say like cyberbullying or something that happened with one of my kids when they were junior high, there was a group thread and they were talking about bullying a kid. And so Mm -hmm. I, one of our rules is like, when I ask for your phone, you're going to hand it over and there will be no fanfare about it. It's just, oh, I haven't checked your phone in a while. Let me take a look. Because mm-hmm. to me, that's what a responsible parent does. It's my job to service his prefrontal cortex. And so if I find anything in there, if you've come and told me about it, that's great. We can talk through it. If you haven't, there's going to be trouble. And that's going to be that you're going to lose your phone for a specific amount of time. But the contract is very, very 
specific. So if you're disrespectful to a family member, you lose your phone for 24 hours. And so then I have it, everybody signs the contract and it's posted in the kitchen cupboard. And if something happens, I can say, Hey, guess what? I noticed this morning when I checked grade book, you've got three C minuses and our bar is B or above. So you lost your car for a week, but Oh, bud, you signed the contract. And then I just turn and walk away. It's already done. There's no discussion about it. And that has worked really, really well for our family and for our relationships. And my, my oldest son, just know they will, they will push your boundaries. He would walk to school in the snow in a t-shirt rather than take a ride with me or the neighbor because he knew I would worry about him. I had to just breathe through my own discomfort and know that he was going to give up eventually, which he did. And he finally figured it out and got his assignments turned in on time and made sure everything in gradebook was updated because they'll use the excuse, well, my teacher doesn't update things. That's not my problem. It's your problem to talk to your teacher before the weekend. You can have them write me a note or whatever. So that, that is a big kids one, I think, is being on the same page. And my husband and I always make the contract together first. These are expectations. These are your mm -hmm. rights. These are your privileges. Here's the consequence of not following through. If it's a trust issue, therapy, therapy, therapy. It's a fidelity issue or an addiction issue. you got to have the right kind of therapist. But definitely don't try to wade through those waters on your own. We did that for so many years and I lived in shame and secrecy, which keeps addiction thriving, right? And mm -hmm. codependency. I didn't talk to friends about it. I remember being on a hike one day with, with my girlfriends and I started to cry and I quickly put my sunglasses on because I didn't want anyone to know that I had problems in my marriage. Mm. And you know, they all thought it was the infertility issues I was going through. And little did they know that was like the least of my concerns. But once I was able to open up to a friend, I found out she had the same issue. And so did another friend. And so did another friend. Like every marriage has problems in it, just like every person has struggles. And so when you find the courage to talk about it, and of course, you've got to have good boundaries and it's got to be the right person in the right circumstance, but it's so healing to know that you're not alone. Absolutely. Just a personal side note. Um, Nikki has four kids. And they're, tell us about their ages. This is like super unique. I feel like. Yeah. So I have a 22 year old. He was conceived naturally. Um, we had infertility, secondary infertility, and I lost three pregnancies between him and my next. And during that time period, Parker had open heart surgery. And then we had our second through two rounds of IUI. And then we had three more miscarriages and nine years. And we did IVF. I was turning 40 and graduating with my MSW. And my husband said, let's just try one round of IVF. And we did it and it worked. And then 22 months later, we had our happy little accident. We call her <laughs> Lucy Joy. <laughs> so yeah, I have, a, I have had the gamut of kids all here for 22, 17, seven and five their ages. That's awesome. I think it's, <laughs> it's cool. That's pretty an, crazy. Yeah. But it's another example of having, having courage to do something that you feel is like, right right for you, even though it's maybe not what I'm sure what most of your other friends were doing or. Absolutely. And I will say, if you were to step foot in my house, you would probably be speechless <laughs> because <laughs> we, we love hard and we fight hard and there's a lot of passion in my house. And, and what they say about the preacher's kid, it's probably true about the therapist's kid, right? We don't have all the answers. And so when I show up in my practice, I used to show up in a blazer or a very professional business attire. And now I'll often see my clients wearing a baseball cap and a t-shirt. Mm -hmm. Because what I found is when I show up as Nicole Bennett, LCSW, I'm really in my head. I'm not effective mm -hmm. at what I do. One of the things you're trained to do is to not share. Don't share 
uh, your personal stories, don't talk about yourself. And I would say that is complete and utter nonsense. As long as you've done your own work around it, I'm not going to show up and have my clients therapize me. Totally. The things that I've worked through, I share and it builds vulnerability and it builds connection with my clients and it helps them see that they're not alone and they're not broken. And that's so important. And in a Absolutely. therapist, I feel like. Okay. Is there any final, I don't know, things you would say or any ad- advice you would have for, for the listeners here today? I would say stop white knuckling through life. And even if you're not white knuckling, you might be living um, a beige life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You might just be kind of coasting along and life is colorful. We know that in Hawaii, there's rainbows almost every day, right? Mm-hmm. Life, life is colorful. It's to be enjoyed, not just endured. And there's no shame around getting tools to help you learn and grow in life. One of the things I love about therapy and coaching is that we all do have blind spots and there's this analogy called Johari's window. And I wish I knew who to give credit to, but the the concept is there's four panes in this window. And the first one is things that you see and I see. And so anyone who knows me knows that I'm very talkative and I'm pretty open about my life. And then there's the things that I see that you don't see, which are that people often see me as really confident and secure in myself. And I would say to a degree I am, but something you might not know is that I have times where I feel like a loser and like I'm failing in all the ways. And then there's the stuff that you see that I don't see. And a really shallow example of that is that once I started doing virtual sessions with clients, I can see myself and I didn't realize that I made some really interesting expressions when I'm talking (laughs) to people. Like I would get these headaches when I was with certain clients and not even connecting, right? But I would watch myself and I was furrowing my brow Mm. um, when I was stressed out or I was slumping my shoulders. That's a really shallow example. Um, A deeper example is, okay, here's one that I just realized recently that was a blind spot for me. When I'm doing my really deep soul work on myself or on my marriage, I tend to isolate. And that means that I kind of cut people out of my life. And I've realized, gosh, that probably has a profound impact on the people that I love that are close to me. Um, I had a friend ask me last summer when I was moving to the North Shore, I have a question for you. When we were living in Seattle all those years ago, where did you go? You were just gone. And Mm -hmm. I never realized the impact that had on her. Where I went was, and I told her that, gosh, it had nothing to do to you. And I'm so sorry that it impacted you because while my behavior was at you, it was never about you. I was struggling to keep my marriage together. Like we were absolutely hanging by a thread, which is why we sold everything. And my husband took a job making half of his salary. And we moved to Utah and lived in a house half the size and really just drastically changed our lives in an effort to save our marriage because we were separated as well. And she said, gosh, I had no idea. So that would be a blind spot that I didn't see until recently that I tend to isolate myself. And then the fourth pain is things that you don't see and I don't see. And that's where therapists can be helpful. So I'll often be in a session with somebody. I had a couple come to me and their chief complaint was sex. The husband said, I'm no longer willing to be in a sexless marriage. And as we went through things together and and built a therapeutic relationship, we recognized that he had a sex addiction. He had also recently lost his job and took a job out of state. So he was traveling six out of seven days a week or something ridiculous, five out of seven days a week. His wife had body image issues and, you know, all those little things that came to the surface, came bubbling to the surface. And then I think what was probably most powerful 
was me being able to sit with them and say to him, and this is, this is actually really important too. If we're talking about communication, mm-hmm. one of the mistakes we make is we give people criticisms or suggestions, which really is feedback, but we do it without permission. So if, if you hear nothing else today, if you have permission, if, if you have something to say to your spouse, always ask for permission. So what I say is, are you open to some feedback? And so okay. we were having this session and I said to him, Hey, are you open to some feedback? And, and what I noticed, well, I'll just tell you how I, how I gave it to him. So he said, yes. And people always kind of respond with a question mark, like, am I? Okay. And that's really important. If you're not open to feedback, say so. My husband asked me the other day, are you open to some feedback? And I said, no, I'm not right now. Maybe in a few hours, <laughs> I'm not in a place to take feedback. Yeah. But he said, yes. And so the second thing about communication is we always want to jump into you always and never. And those mm-hmm. are like the worst curse words when you're communicating always bring it back to your experience. So I feel like it seems like the story I'm telling myself is. So what I said to this client was, Hey, I noticed when you were speaking, I started paying attention to my body. And I noticed that I was really starting to clench my jaw and I was building tension around my eyes. My brows were furrowed and my neck started feeling stiff and my stomach was tightening. And I said, it felt like I was being attacked. And I noticed that I stopped hearing your words. I went into total fight flight mode and I didn't hear a word you said because it felt like you were coming at me like a grizzly bear. And I'm sure that was not your intention at all. And you probably didn't even recognize that's what you were doing. But I'd like to invite us to all just pause for a minute and practice some mindfulness, which really just means paying attention to your thoughts, emotions, and body sensations without judgment. Mm -hmm. And let's just breathe for a minute and see if we can calm down. And then I'd love for you to try a softer approach. And maybe when you're speaking using I statements, because I want to know how you're feeling and your message is getting lost in your delivery. That was a huge aha for him and for her. Because when I just told him that he was coming at me like a grizzly bear, how can he come at me like a grizzly bear now? (laughs) Right? He's proving my point. So that's when the tears started to come. And he said, I feel so invisible. I feel so unappreciated. I feel so unloved. I feel unsafe in my marriage. That's when the magic happens. And then the last thing I think about communication is always have in mind what your request is. So my request with him was really clear, right? Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to communicate more with a more soft approach if you're able to. So ask permission to give feedback, use I statements on your own experience, and then make a clear request. But also it requires being accountable for your own behavior. And this is where I said earlier in the session or this recording that if your therapist isn't upset you upsetting you once in a while you probably need to find a new one because we all have things we need to work on. And just one more quick example. My husband and I were working with Taylor Hartman who does the color code and he's a total, he's another real straight shooter. He's not for the faint of heart. And we were having a session and my husband was saying something and I said, Hey, can, can I just interject really quickly? And what my husband was saying was that he felt like since I found out about his addiction early in our marriage that I had never looked at him the same. I had always looked at him like he was less than Mm -hmm. and that he could never overcome this and never be seen as anybody other than an addict. And I said, can I, can I please interrupt? And I said, I don't feel like that's true at all. I feel like the true you, the, the, the highest, the best you is loving and connected and open and honest and all these things that I love about you. That's who you really are. 
when you're in addict mode, I don't think that's really you. I think that's like a defense mechanism and it makes me have a, a tough time connecting with you. And Taylor stops and he looks at me and he says, that was really stupid. And I said, okay, help me. on What was stupid? And he said, what you just said was really stupid. And I said, okay, help me understand. And he looked at Ben and he said, did you just see that? And then he looked back at me and he said, what you said was not stupid. It was beautiful. And it was pure truth. I'm illustrating a point that Ben, when I come at you with feedback, you get defensive and you play a victim and you shut down. And Nikki, when I come to you, you say, help me understand. Now I'm not putting myself up on a, a pedestal because there were plenty of sessions where Taylor said, stop it. <laughs> right. Cause when I'm hurt, my wall goes up and I am, I turn into the ice queen. Mm-hmm. But my point is like, you've got to be open to feedback and you've got to recognize that you have blind spots and it's not an, or situation. When you go into marriage, it's not his fault or your fault. It's mm-hmm. an, and it's an, and we both have work to do. We both have blind spots. So find a therapist who's who's upsetting you once in a while and helping you take accountability and, and do your own work. Yeah. I think that's my experience. Absolutely. The truth that, you know, in a marriage, like you're saying, it's two people making themselves the best versions of themselves and then coming together, you know, in, in that marriage. Absolutely. And I see clients coming to me that are in complete crisis mode. They're separated or they're ready to divorce, or they're not sure they're going to divorce. But I also have people come that say, you know, we just really don't feel very connected anymore. We just don't feel like there's a lot of passion in our marriage. So it don't, don't wait, please, until you're in a crisis. Yeah. It doesn't have to get to that point before you decide. Absolutely. And if my husband and I had gone, you know, the first six years of our marriage, when we were fighting over silly things, like him not picking up the phone when he was at work or him coming home from work late, we could have saved ourselves so much heartache. It's a great, great example. Great point. Okay. So last thing, tell people where they can find you. You can find me on Instagram at backseat driver podcast. I also have a website that's ascentcoachingandtherapy.com, A-S-C-E-N-T, and it's all spelled out. And then I have another Instagram account that's blessed.mess.therapist. Okay, awesome. And I'll put all that in the show notes too. And I was just listening to your podcast this week. It's a great, a great podcast. So here's a plug, a plug for that too. Awesome. Thank you. I love the work you're doing, Melissa. It's so important. Thank you, Nikki. You as well. Thanks for being here. You got it. Talk to you later. Thank you so much for listening to the Family Brand Podcast. To say thank you, we have something really awesome we'd love to share with you. You know, we often hear from families who will tell us that they just feel so overwhelmed because of the demands that are placed on them. They feel like they're constantly being pulled in so many different directions and spread thin and they're spending time as a family, but they don't feel like it's quality time. They're not really connected and they want to be more intentional. And we can certainly relate because we felt like that at one point in in our family. And so we created a guide that allowed us to really be more confident around how we spend time as a family and what we say yes to and what we say no to. And it's just brought so much more peace into our home. It's made our lives so much more simple and we want to share it with you. So if you go to familybrand.com, forward slash free, you can download the how to take back your family's time guide. And I can promise you it'll give you more confidence and more peace in your life than your family. One last thing, we feel so inspired when we hear from families that we are making a difference for them. We would love it if you would leave us a five-star rating and a review on the podcast so we can reach even more amazing families. We truly believe that the way we change the world is one family at a time.